0: Well, uh, good morning, everyone. What a great announcement we have here today. and It's great to be here in Sherwood Park. I'm Jordan Walker, the MLA for Sherwood Park, and I'm pleased to be here for this very important announcement. I'm joined today by my colleagues, Danielle Smith, Premier of Alberta, Nicholas Milliken, the Minister of Mental Health and Addiction, and my colleague, uh, Nate Glubish, MLA for Strathcona Sherwood Park and Minister of Technology and Innovation. I'd like to thank Bonnie Blakey, Uh, CEO of CASA Mental Health and the entire team for welcoming us here today at CASA House. Like its name suggests, CASA House is more than just a facility for youth experiencing mental health challenges. It's a welcoming place where young people can come and stay surrounded by peers and with access to dedicated mental health professionals who can provide the care they need. While CASA Mental Health is a vital part of the Sherwood Park community, They are also a leader in delivering child-centred mental health services across the province, helping thousands of families every year. And that's what brings us here today. Alberta's government recognizes that when it comes to uh, securing our future, there's nothing more important than investing in the mental health and well-being of young Albertans. To do that, we need to work closely with strong community partners, just like CASA Mental Health, who have the experience expertise, and passion to truly make a difference in the lives of children, youth, and their families. With that, I'd like to now turn it over to Premier Smith to make today's announcement. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you so much for the introduction, MLA Walker. Nice to see Minister Glubish here as well as Minister Milliken. You'll hear from him shortly. I do want to thank Bonnie and the remarkable team at CASA Mental Health for hosting us here today at CASA House in Sherwood Park. And I'm pleased to be here with my colleagues to shine a focus on our government's steadfast commitment to helping children and youth improve their mental health. Every young person in Alberta deserves the opportunity to access mental health supports, access treatment, pursue recovery, and live a healthy life. We are moving closer to this goal with the introduction of Budget 2023. This year's provincial budget includes record investments for the newly established Ministry of Mental Health and Addiction, more than $275 million in funding each year, which is an increase of almost 40% from last year and a 200% increase from what we inherited from the NDP before us. This record-breaking investment will be used to focus on key priorities, including helping children and youth improve their mental health, growing Indigenous partnerships, further increasing access to treatment and recovery supports, partnering with first responders to keep communities safe while treating mental health and addiction compassionately, and so much more. The impact on Albertans will be life-saving and life-changing. With new, this significant infusion of new funding, we can continue to build on the incredible efforts already underway to build a strong, robust, recovery-oriented system of care across Alberta. Alberta's approach to mental health is guided by our unwavering belief that with the right care and support, recovery is possible for everyone. And this undoubtedly includes the youngest among us. Every child who is struggling with their mental health deserves an opportunity to pursue a better life. Too often, families with children experiencing serious mental illnesses have reached out for help only to be told they need to wait, drive hours and hours to access services, or worse, that specialized care simply isn't available. This is a difficult situation that no family should have to face, and we're taking action to ensure they never do. So today I'm pleased to announce that if passed, Budget 2023 will invest $92 million over three years to provide critical mental health supports for children and youth across Alberta in partnership with CASA Mental Health. This increase in funding will increase access to high-intensity community services, day treatment programs, mental health classrooms, and community-based inpatient services – all delivered in partnership with CASA Mental Health. The services will be an extension of the successful programs currently offered in CASA Mental Health here in Sherwood Park. As part of this expansion, we're focusing on areas where they are most needed because mental health impacts all communities in all parts of the province. So the $92 million in funding announced today includes $37 million to support an expansion of community-based services to Calgary, Fort McMurray, and Central Zone. It also includes $25 million in capital to establish New Casa House inpatient facilities in Calgary and Fort McMurray that can deliver services to children and youth closer to home. and it provides 30 million to support the creation of mental health classrooms in schools across the province where students with complex mental health challenges can be supported by an entire team of health professionals. And while most children in Alberta will unfortunately, never or will, fortunately, never need these services, I know that every parent and every Albertan will be reassured to know that this help is there for those who need it, because no child should go without the help and support they need to live healthy and happy lives. With this dramatic expansion in services, we're supporting more young Albertans in their pursuit of recovery from mental illness and building on our ongoing efforts to remove barriers and make high-quality mental health care more affordable and accessible to everyone. Budget 2023 is about securing a better future for all Albertans and doing more to give a hand up to the most vulnerable among us. And I can think of no better way to do this than by reaching out and extending a hand to children and families who are struggling. We're investing in a stronger future, Alberta's future, and that starts with helping young people when they need it most. Thank you. And I'd now like to turn it over to Minister Milliken.
2: Uh, thank you, Premier, and good morning to everyone. Thank you all for being here today. Uh, before I begin, I want to extend my appreciation to Bonnie Blakely and the team at CASA Mental Health for hosting us today and to Minister Glubish and MLA Walker for welcoming us to Sherwood Park. The funding that Premier Smith just announced will make a real difference in the lives of thousands of children and families in Alberta over the years to come. Our government recognizes just how important it is to invest in the mental health and well-being of children and youth. Resilient kids grow into resilient adults, and building positive mental health at a young age will help them thrive throughout their lives. But providing children with this solid foundation means addressing mental health issues and concerns as early as possible. Research shows that most mental health problems first arise during childhood and adolescence. That's why we need to make sure there are comprehensive recovery-oriented supports available for young Albertans when they need them, no matter where they live in our province. This includes focusing more on preventing mental health issues from occurring in the first place and intervening early when mental health challenges arise. Right now, too many children with serious mental health concerns are unable to get the help they need. In some cases, youth with serious mental illnesses have few options for care beyond repeat visits to an emergency room. As a father of two young kids, I empathize with these families, and I believe children and youth deserve better, and so do families. That is why, through Budget 2023, we are taking action to secure Alberta's future by improving mental health services and supports for Albertans across the province. As the premier announced, we are dramatically increasing access to much needed services by investing $92 over three years for children and youth with complex mental health needs. Leading this important work is Casa Mental Health, a trusted community partner and a leader in developing and delivering mental health and addiction services for all individuals, youth, kids in Alberta. This new funding will help expand four programs offered by CASA Mental Health for children and youth in need. Together, these programs will help more than 700 children, youth and families across the province every year. First, there is CASA House, a live-in program for youth in grades 7 to 12. Uh, While they live at the CASA facility, their parents and caregivers are active participants in treatment, which includes individual, group, and family therapy, social and life skills training, and on-site schooling in small classroom settings. This funding will also support CASA's Adolescent Day Treatment Program, a daily program for youth in grades 8 to 12, where youth with a mental illness diagnosis who are struggling in a conventional classroom setting, can complete their schooling at a CASA facility while receiving ongoing support. We are also supporting the creation of 20 mental health classrooms across the province, which will help up to 360 students in grades four to 12 every single year. The first two CASA classrooms have, uh, just last week actually, started helping students in Sturgeon County, and with more coming online later this fall, young Albertans will soon be able to get the specialized mental health support they need closer to home. And finally, there is CASACOR for children and youth aged 3 to 17. This program matches families with the right level of service based on the complexity of the child's mental health challenges. Each of these programs is delivered in the community, and all of them include families, caregivers, and support networks as part of the treatment. This means more young Albertans with complex mental health needs will get the care they need without waiting and without travelling long distances. The investments announced today are one more step in building comprehensive, community-based, recovery-oriented systems of care across the province, where anyone struggling with mental health or addiction can access a full continuum of services from prevention and early intervention to treatment and recovery. Over the past four years, we've made great strides in strengthening mental health supports available for children and youth across the entire continuum of care. We've invested in prevention and early intervention through the integrated school supports program with supports that range from meal programs and structured physical education to after school care and school psychiatrists and psychologists. Our government also Doubled funding for 211 so that Albertans of all ages can quickly and seamlessly connect with addiction and mental health services in their communities. And we are partnering with the Kids Help phone to provide free, confidential counseling 24 7 to youth in need. Finally, because strong families are key to supporting the mental health of children and youth we've made it easier for families to access virtual and in-person counseling, no matter where they live in the province. Together, these actions, along with the significant new investments announced today, bring us closer to our goal of ensuring that every child in Alberta can get the help they need and be supported in their pursuit of recovery from mental health. So thank you very much. Thank you all for being here. And I'd like to turn it over to Bonnie Blakely to say a few
3: words. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. I am pleased to welcome you all to CASA House. We are a home, a facility, and a program that offers special programming to youth aged 12 to 18 in Alberta. CASA House blends intensive mental health services and psychiatric care with school curriculum. I want to recognize our board, who is in the room today, and our senior leaders. Welcome, and we're glad you're with us. I want to extend a special thank you and welcome to Premier Smith, Minister Milliken, and Sherwood Park MLA's Jordan Walker and Nate Glubish for bringing this important announcement of their investment in child and youth mental health for the province. CASA Mental Health is a nonprofit. We provide mental health services to children and youth in Alberta who need treatment that's more intensive than prevention and promotion, but should never require a hospital stay. It's what we call the missing middle. As CASA Mental Health CEO, I want to tell you about our programs and our services and all the good work that our teams do here and across Alberta every day. But I'm not just a CEO. I'm here as a parent with children who have diagnosed mental illness. It is stories like theirs and our families that are the reason this investment is so important for young Albertans. When I speak to other parents, guardians and caregivers about their lived experience, we have typically the same story. We exhaust every community program we can find to get our kids' help. We push our family physicians and our primary care networks beyond their capacity and their comfort. And eventually we're told that we are too complex to be managed. At the same time, our kids are often not severe enough to have the healthcare professionals they need or to be admitted to hospital. Our kids may have different diagnoses. We may come from different backgrounds and we may live in different communities across Alberta. However, we find ourselves in the same place eventually. Emergency departments where we never should have landed, receiving acute services we never should have needed. A place where we may receive temporary help only to be discharged and start the whole thing over again. We know the missing middle. We live it every day with our kids. That's why we are here. We know the impact that CASA Mental Health makes in providing kids and their families the services they need in that missing middle. Whether it's the mother that shared with me two weeks ago about her son who's a 33-year-old successful entrepreneur in Edmonton that credits the fact that he came to CASA House in changing the trajectory of his life. Or the father who boasted to me last week that his son will be on the world stage as an athlete in April who was a CASA kid. Or maybe it has to do with these families who write us notes when they come to get service. Or they tell us that this is a safe place to share hard feelings and that for the first time they have hope. Or a child that said they are grateful to be able to get the mental health services they need to function in the way they need, in the place that they need to do it. Or lastly, maybe it's the text I got from my daughter four months ago when she was admitted to the emergency and then into the hospital in Alberta because of her mental illness. Her message was, Mom, whatever you are doing, keep going because my children and your grandchildren deserve better than this. Mental illnesses, pandemics, and personal traumas don't wait until we are 18. And we all likely know somebody right now as friends, neighbours, or family who are suffering. So many young people need mental health services early in life. And they need it so they can be their best selves in the future. So they can be the best students, the best citizens, and the best loved ones they can be to them and their families. CASA Mental Health's journey and vision is a community where all of our children, youth, and families are provided timely mental health care and empowered to thrive. And we are grateful that this government sees that same vision. Today's Government of Alberta investment brings us one step closer. It enables us to start planning for additional facilities like the one you are in today in new communities, blending our inpatient care, our adolescent day programming, and curriculum education. This allows us to continue to roll out the CASA classrooms, where our specialized team of professionals can provide mental health services directly in Albertan schools to kids with the services they need, when they need them, where they need them. I want to thank the dedicated team of CASA mental health professionals. Every day they come to work and do an exceptional job on behalf of the patients and families we serve. I want to thank our donors and supporters who have enabled us to work and shape our vision as we move forward. And I want to thank the government, the provincial government and the Ministry of Mental Health and Addiction for recognizing the the missing middle that exists and helping to meet so many young Albertans where they are because they need it more than ever before. Thank you. I'd like to introduce Strathcona Sherwood Park, Nate Glubish, to provide remarks.
4: Well, thank you very much. I'm really happy to be here with you all today uh, to celebrate this really exciting announcement. Um, Thank you, Premier, for your support on this, and thank you, Minister Milliken, for the amazing work you've done on this uh, important effort. Uh, As a father myself, I am so proud to know that as a part of Budget 2023, Alberta's government is... Uh, planning to invest $92 million over the next three years to improve access to mental health supports for children and youth. Uh, th- as discussed, this funding will support three CASA mental health programs that offer in-community care options that aim to reduce hospital stays. This is good news for the children who need support, but it's good news for all Albertans because this will reduce an unnecessary burden on our health care system. Ultimately, this means that more kids will be able to stay at home with their families where they feel comfortable and where they feel safe. And that is what every parent wants, to be able to provide their child with support and safety and security. Today's investments will make that happen for more than 350 families in Calgary, Fort McMurray, and across the central region of the province, which includes Short Park and Strathcona County. CASA Mental Health also takes a comprehensive approach to care that includes a child's family, their school, their community, uh, to support even better outcomes for their patients. And this is just a sign of things to come. Alberta's government is building a recovery-oriented system of care where every Albertan, including our children and our youth, are supported in their pursuit of care. And I'm very proud to see such emphasis on supporting mental health supports, particularly initiatives like the ones offered through CASA Mental Health that improve the resources available to families with children who require complex care. This investment will address a very real need in our communities by bringing these essential services closer to home for more families with children as young as three years old. I'm so proud of CASA, and their organization uh, for the work that they began right here in Sherwood Park uh, as a caring group of compassionate parents and psychologists. Today's funding announcement will ensure that CASA can take this amazing work that they're doing and spread it to every corner of our province and to even act as a model for other organizations here and abroad. I'm so encouraged to see Alberta's government making this $92 million investment in our children and their families and their future. Ensuring adequate and appropriate funding for mental health will go a long way in setting up Alberta's children and youth with the tools they need for a bright and successful future. Thank you. All right, so with
2: that, I believe I don't want to lead the way on this thank you very much let me just say for all the media for being here obviously this is uh it's a it's a hopeful announcement uh it's a good news story and so having you all here is definitely very much appreciated I want to thank also all the comments that were made and I also want to thank take the opportunity to thank the premier for making sure that children's and youth mental health is such a priority of this government so thank you very much and thank you for the impassioned remarks Bonnie as well so with that
5: all right. Thanks,
6: everybody. We have a ton of questions today. I'm going to take five from the floor, and then I'm going to hit the phone lines. Uh, one question, one follow-up, and please have your name and outlet. Uh, go ahead. Hi. It's Carly Robinson with City News. On the topic of mental health, I'd like to get both the Premier and the Minister about an area of mental health that wasn't funded, didn't see an increase in the budget. That's sexual assault centres The in the Edmonton region. The wait times are now over a year Why did they not see an increase?
2: Well, as you know, um, there are uh, ample aspects with regards to my ministry uh, that unfortunately under previous governments weren't funded to the level that they should have been. As you know, the budget 2023, if passed, will provide $275 million. So this is a huge increase. Back in the previous government, I think that line up item was somewhere in the neighborhood of 87. So my goal is to, of course, continue to build out the recovery-oriented system of care, and that includes, obviously, victims of sexual assault, etc. There's also lots of opportunities for um, increased access to counseling service that we've been funding. So there are lots of services with regards to what you were discussing, and I think that uh, what you're doing is you're highlighting uh, parts of the the needs that we've been facing for the last four years as we build out uh, the recovery-oriented system of care to ensure that individuals can receive the treatment they need and then, of course, enter into long-term recovery.
1: Thanks for that, Nick. I know that we had worked with the uh, shelter association and wanted, uh, we're giving them $17 million through the shelter system and we wanted to increase that by 4.9 million. It fell short of what they wanted. They wanted 14 million and so they refused the uh, 4.9 million increase that we offered to them. And so that just says to me that we maybe have a little bit more work to do to work with them to find out what their actual needs are. I I always hope that we're able to 100% fund every need that is out there, Uh, but we we do know that this is a priority. It's very important to us. If we can meet so that we can find a a number that they think would be more appropriate that's within our means, then I, I know that the Minister will be happy to do that. Thanks.
6: And uh, I think this would be for the Premier on the topic of domestic violence shelters. Today we saw wage increases for other uh, sector workers, but not
1: for domestic
6: violence workers. Again,
1: why? My understanding is that um, the average wage in the shelters is $26 per hour and there were a number of other areas. I look at, for instance, the, the uh, persons with developmental disabilities area, which had not seen an increase in contracts since 2014. So keep in mind the timestamp on that. That was before the minimum wage increase. And uh, Minister uh, Jeremy Nixon and I had gone to a, a meeting together, and we met a worker who was still making $15 an hour. And this is the thing that we saw, is that the, the people in that sector just loved their clients so much that they stayed even though their wages were not keeping up. So the minister did a full review to find out what equivalent wages were in the sector. We found that in other types of um, areas where people were giving that care the wages were more like 18 to 22 dollars an hour so that's why we made a priority investment in persons with developmental disabilities Um, and we observed that as i said in the in the shelter area we saw that they were making 26 dollars an hour so there's always a room to improve obviously in all of these we want to make sure we're attracting people but we also need to make sure that we're bringing those who are at the lowest level up as a priority go ahead audrey
6: Hello, Audrey Never for Radio-Canada. My question is for you, uh, Premier. In the budget, we haven't seen really any money for Calgary downtown revitalization specifically. Why not?
1: We did a, a very uh, comprehensive uh, consultation session with um, communities when Minister Schweitzer actually was uh, was in the, the role and one of the things that we heard in Calgary that the number one most important thing was was public safety, and so it, it's why it's it's really what sold the uh, the idea of us creating the task force that we did that is a multi level multi party task force includes representatives from our government, multiple ministries, plus representatives from from the municipal level of government, uh, police officers and uh, EMS, all to make sure that we're developing an approach that connects people to the mental health and addiction supports that they need, as well as rolling out the sheriffs in both downtown Calgary and Edmonton to help deal with public disorder. That's what we heard was the priority. Um, it uh, it just so happens that uh, we, d- we didn't receive that priority list from the City of Calgary. I'm meeting tomorrow with Mayor Sohi. Mayor Sohi did write me a letter and told me what his priorities are for Edmonton. And the priorities for Edmonton are around the same issue. Mental health, addiction, social supports, affordable housing. And so I'm looking forward to Meeting with Mayor Gondek to find out what her priorities are, and I hope we'll be able to, to come to a cl- conclusion on that. But we we do have a major investment in Calgary on areas that are in our our purview. So five over five hundred million on LRT projects. We've also announced a commitment to expanding the LRT to the airport on the Blue Line. We're going to be doing uh, Deerfoot Trail upgrades, finishing the ring roads. So as we finish the ring road, that's going to make Deerfoot Trail uh, a Calgary roadway and so we want to make sure we're handing it over in proper condition we're going to complete the project on the Springbank dry dam that's 282 million over the the next three years to make sure that we're protecting on flood mitigation we've got uh 60 million for the glenbow museum which is going to be i think an important attraction in downtown calgary we've got 134 more million as i mentioned for the calgary ring road 15 million for the repsol sports center and we've also said that we have a, a commitment to assisting in any way that they need us to to deal with uh, trying to bridge the parties on the issue of the, the Calgary Van Centre. So if there are other things that they would like us to do, we're open-minded about that. One of the things that um, in discussion with the mayor, uh, between her and our municipal affairs minister, Rebecca Schultz, is that they seem quite quite keen to see if we can do what we can to attract post-secondaries downtown. And while that's a great idea, we just haven't received any requests or proposals for that. And so maybe I should just mention, if anyone has a request or proposal to establish a post-secondary in downtown Calgary or Edmonton, we'd be more than happy to have that conversation. Because it really is a, almost a perfect use, is that we wouldn't have to Uh, revitalize very many of those buildings. It's certainly a lot harder to change a commercial building into residential construction than if it was to be for a university. Um, I can imagine that there might be campuses in eastern Canada in Quebec, Montreal, or Quebec, or Ontario, or even British Columbia, who might want to have a satellite campus, and the perfect place would be for it to be in downtown Calgary. And if you've got a lot of students that are in downtown Calgary or Edmonton, that then helps with the retail and shopping and restaurants. So we think that there's a lot of opportunity there, but we can only respond to requests, and we can only respond with actual proposals on the table, and at the moment we don't have any of those.
6: Uh, my second question is also for you and it's a little long so please bear with me uh for a colleague um in quebec there was a class action lawsuit that was brought forward about the uh, quebec major junior hockey league and they are alleging sexual assault in and in hazing rituals like initiation rituals that's been going on for decades at least five decades and it's been brought forward by an alberta player garrett taylor Who is an ex-player from the Western Hockey League. So the Quebec, the Quebec government held public hearings and Mm. today the commissioner of the Hockey League resigned amidst all Mm. that controversy. So, and it's been awfully quiet in the Alberta hockey world. So I want to know if your government is looking into this, planning to do anything, maybe having the WHL commissioner testify, for example. So I want to know if it's on your radar and what you could do about
1: it potentially i have been i've been watching uh the the uh the allegations as they've unfolded um i'll continue to to talk with my ministers to see if there is something that uh, we need to do to follow up we want to make sure that every a young person feels like they're in a safe environment, whether they're involved in sport or otherwise. And we take seriously the kind of impact that it can, that can happen if somebody does suffer either a, a trauma or a hazing. And it's part of the reason why we know this announcement today is so important on mental health. Uh, supports a lot of kids who have mental health issues. It's because of some of the trauma that they've suffered. So on that particular issue, you'll have to let me get back to you. But I, I think it underscores that we, we've got to do a lot to make sure that our kids feel like they're in a safe environment. And if we do have problems that we have to deal with from a mental health perspective, this is exactly what the announcement today is about.
6: Uh, just to clarify, which minister were you referring to? Is it Mr. It wouldn't be him. Uh, who, would, who would it be then?
2: Culture. Mostly mostly minister of culture. Okay, thank you. Any other questions from the floor?
3: Yes, Elena uh, Smith, Globe and Mail. My question is also for the premier. Uh, it's on the Curl Oil Sand site. I'm wondering, one, what's your reaction to months of toxic tailings seeping from the site? But also,
1: why didn't the government tell the Northwest Territories about it, which is in contravention of the water agreement? Let me let me say that um, imp- I've encouraged Imperial Oil to be more proactive in its communications, and I've encouraged the Alberta Energy Regulator to be more proactive in their communications. A lot of the problems that companies get into is that they allow for an issue to get out in the media with incorrect information, and then they're trying to fight an action to correct misinformation. And I think it's unfortunate that that happened in this situation, and I'm glad to see that everybody is stepping up to communicate with the communities. I had not received a briefing on this until it got into um, the media with allegations, and so I asked for an immediate briefing on Friday, which I got and my understanding is that there are two spills in question. One of them was a leak that was happening last February, and they identified what the issues were and have undertaken. A reconstruction to solve the problem, I believe they 're halfway through that was the uh, the more modest leak they 've been monitoring the tributaries we 've got extensive water testing to make sure it doesn 't get into the river system, but it did um, it did get into groundwater. However, there has been no impact on human health there 's been no impact on wildlife and they have mitigated the impact on the environment. The second spill happened more recently, and that was uh, what initiated an enforcement order that went public. It was a 5.3 million litre spill, as I understand it. Uh, they are still looking for the cause of that. That was human error, is I think what we do know. But uh, I have received, I, I gather that the Imperial Oil has done a press release today saying that the um, the, the bulk of that cleanup is complete. They are in the area. They will be doing uh, site tours for the affected communities over the next two days on Monday and Tuesday and again uh, our water testing I've confirmed with our environment department did not get into the tributaries it was on the ice and snow and land surrounding and so that is the uh, I think it is unfortunate that they didn't reach out to our friends in Northwest Territories just to make them assured and I think it was unfortunate that there wasn't more proactive communication with the bands and nobody wants to feel like they have potentially been drinking water that has been exposed and I'm pleased to report that none of this uh, spill got into the tributaries, which means it didn't get into the river, which means it didn't get into drinking water. It doesn't um, absolve the company from needing to do a better job to communicate that to the public. And I think the regulator did its job by demanding a, a very quick resolution to this. I'm pleased that all parties are now coming forward. And that is the reason why um, the uh, the 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 issue that you cited about having to uh, uh, inform our our neighbors is if it gets into tributaries because that's when it migrates and gets into their it has the potential to get into their system. I think it was a misstep. They should have called them just to assure them that that wasn't happening. And I just think it's unfortunate that um, that that people were left feeling a sense of worry when um, about about the the status of their drinking water. I just want to assure everyone. The um, data that I've received now, in the briefing I've had, that it didn't get into the drinking water, didn't get into wildlife, um, and that the bulk of the the cleanup is done. And you'll you'll hear more from Imperial over the next couple of days.
3: And then a follow up for you: I'm wondering how does this make the Alberta oil
1: and gas industry look on a global stage? But also, how much more difficult does this make it to market oil sands products? I, I'm I'm pleased again um, to see that uh, the the communications has improved, and I think if they had if they had been radically transparent right from the very beginning, then it might not have turned into the story that it did. I I had my Alberta Energy Futures meeting takes place every Friday, and I can assure you that I went into the meeting very firm that my expectation of our energy sector is that when these issues happen, radical transparency is what my expectation is. It is what the expectation of our environment minister, Sonia Savage, is. And I've also informed our Alberta energy regulator that these kinds of issues need to be brought to my desk and I need a thorough communications plan from both the Alberta energy regulator and the company when these occur. Every time uh, these issues arise, so much of it can be resolved by just telling people what's going on, so that there isn't a fear factor, and so that there isn't um, any misinformation that gets into the media. And I think it's very unfortunate that uh, that Imperial Oil did not be was not more proactive initially, and, and that it allowed for I think a, a lot of concern, unnecessary. Uh, concern to be raised over over things that uh, that, that that they uh, they could have communicated on earlier. So I, I would hope that in future our energy sector is a lot more proactive when these kinds of incidents occur. I know we all expect there to be. Uh, zero problems and I think that's always the aspiration but if if there is a problem that occurs then we we will we will be ensuring that uh, the players are, are forthcoming forthright and and make sure that the information gets out to those who need it go
7: ahead hello it's uh, Jeremy Thompson here CTV Edmonton again I think a question for, for getting here <laughs> um, just a question relating to you know you spoke with the uh, AEG uh, last week wondering um you know what you think sort of your time with that group, what sort of influence that is having over your your own sort of legislative priorities uh, right now?
1: I have uh, spent a lot of time in three careers, a lot in the media, a lot in business advocacy, and uh, a few times in in public life. And so uh, I I always knew that I would go back and give a presentation to them. I give presentations to lots of business groups. I think I've spoken to to the bulk of them. This is the first time I had a chance to speak with them since... um, uh, since, I, uh, since I got elected, the, uh, a lot of the, the conversation that we have ar- around is, um, is how we can create a, an environment in Alberta that's going to attract business investment and how we can ensure that we continue to see a growth in jobs and economy with, uh, with uh, reducing red tape and, increase, and reducing taxes and creating that kind of environment. And it appears to be working. We're seeing record investment in the technology sector. Uh, we're seeing also uh, energy companies investing again. We've got agri-food processing investment that's occurring. So those are the there's a whole broad range of, of issues. They've got I think representation from virtually every sector. So they've got a, a very big thick suggestion uh, b- a book for me of of, of the policy proposals that they put on the page on the table. I haven't had a chance to go through them yet.
7: Uh, and just not really a follow up, separate question, I suppose. Uh, just uh, we saw on, on budget day, uh, you know, Drew Barnes introduced Tamara Leach in in the, in the mm-hmm. legislature. Um, you know, a little bit of applause there. He, he had a big, long introduction about why she was there. Just wondering what what you made of that. You know, what was your thoughts? You know, just given her circumstances and sort of being charged with mischief in connection to the to the convoy there.
1: Well, you know, we're watching the process play out, and I I I know that that uh, Drew Barnes in particular was. I mean, it's his constituent, I believe, and I know that Drew Barnes in particular was very concerned about getting the right balance between um, how we approach public health orders and and uh, freedoms. And so I think that was the, the point that he was making and it's part of the reason why he would have done that. But you'll have to ask him about, uh, about his motivation.
7: Were you, were you, did you, I don't know, what did you think of, of seeing Tamara? We've, we've,
1: got, we've got all kinds of people who get introduced into the legislature for all kinds of reasons. I'm delighted that uh, we're back to being open in the public gallery and back to doing introductions so because it is the People's Chamber. And so those, uh, it's important to have as, ma- as many people introduced there as possible. All right, we'll take one more question from the floor and then I'll hit the phones. Hello,
8: Sarah Reed, uh, with Global News again for the premier. Um, just looking for a response um, to a leaked email that came from a unit manager um, at one of the hospitals in Calgary about potential changes coming to um, the ERs. Uh, so it said that uh, as of March fifteenth, that paramedics would be able to leave patients at emergency rooms after forty-five minutes, uh, regardless of if there is a staff member available to take over their care. Uh, just wondering if you could confirm this as well as what the thought process is in them how that would affect uh, Alberta's healthcare care system? Uh,
1: I, w- I would doubt that that would be the case. I, I do know that uh, we are, th- th- l- let's remember to ha- how paramedics used to work. Paramedics used to be able to bring a patient in, drop them off, do the charting, and clean their, clean their gear and get on the road within 20 minutes. That's the way the system used to work. And why doesn't it work that way anymore? Well, it's because we've used our paramedics as an extension of hallway medicine, And that's not appropriate use of those resources. It's demoralizing our frontline staff. It's creating red alerts. And it's causing them not to be available when we have acute needs. And so we have to take a different approach. We have to go back to operating the paramedic system more like the way it used to operate 10 or 15 years ago. So what we are doing is uh, we're we're recruiting 114 full-time equivalent nurses at our 16 acute care facilities to be 100% focused on doing that patient handoff so that when a paramedic comes in, they can do the charting, they can drop the patient off in the care of somebody who is qualified to take care of them so that they can be uh, stewarded through the rest of the process. In some cases, they may be treated and released. In some cases, they need to have multiple tests, and in some cases, they will need to be admitted. But we will have qualified uh, qualified people on staff to be able to make that assessment.
8: Uh, and then, yeah, not a follow-up, separate question, but sort of on the topic of the budget as a whole, um, there has been some criticism from different organizations in healthcare, education, obviously the opposition um, calling this an election budget and saying that the the money that's been put forward isn't enough or sustainable to actually make changes in different areas in the province. I guess what's your response to that?
1: I, I can't tell what the opposition's view is because sometimes they say we spend too much and then other times they say we're not spending enough. So they really should decide what their, what their messaging is. But I'm hearing is that it's actually a very balanced budget in very many ways because, number one, we've got a pathway for reducing debt, which I think is important to Albertans since the NDP became, came us, brought us onto a path of extraordinary year-over-year increases in spending and debt that was unsustainable. So we've arrested that and it's going in the right direction. We're also now reinvesting back in the Heritage Savings Trust Fund so we'll be growing our, our savings and we've also invested in the priority areas. We knew it was important for us to have a year-over-year spending spending increase that was no more than inflation plus population growth. That has been the standard for how we measure whether a budget is sustainable. And uh, so our direction was to our ministers was to keep spending increases below 6%. I believe overall it's 4.1%, which still allows us to do Ma- uh, major investments in health care, major investments in education, major investments in mental health, like you're hearing today, also an $8 billion uh, transportation plan that's going to be rolled out over the next three years, as well as 58 schools, 11 of which are going to be in Calgary. And so uh, I know that you have to do all of those things. People look to their government to make sure that they deliver on the services that matter to them. And we heard loud and clear that uh, over the last number of years, especially since we've had deficits for so many of them, that it was time to reinvest. And we needed to reinvest in health care and education and in capital as a priority. So that's what we've done. Thank
6: you. Thank you. All right. We'll hit the phone lines. Operator, first caller, please.
3: Don Braid,
9: Calgary Herald. Uh, Premier, thanks for taking my call uh, on my question. Uh, Premier, we still got a 30% vacancy rate downtown. It's pretty general agreement here that there's something um, fairly significant that has to be done and it was an expectation that the province was going to do it. I understand what you're saying about all the money that is being spent. There really is quite a lot. Uh, But the city has in the past uh, asked for matching funding for some of the specific reasons. I'm a little puzzled as to why uh, there was nothing this time just because there hadn't been any specific list. Could you go into this a little more? Are you actually willing to do this should Mayor Gondek come up with something more specific? Are Are you really willing to match... Uh, funding for something like 150 million dollars, which is one of the numbers that's come out. I just wonder if, if there really is a philosophical willingness to go ahead with this, given the fact that uh, Minister Tave seems ideologically opposed. He keeps talking about not wanting to send money down the pipeline to Ontario pension funds. So, could you just be clear with us on on your intentions here, if you are convinced? that the city's got a good plan, that you will provide money in in the next little while, perhaps before the election.
1: Well, I'd like to see what they wanted on. And I I take the finance minister's point that when you look at who owns the downtown office towers, it is Toronto-based rates, and um, it is really complicated When you give money to corporations that should have the means to take care of it themselves, it is a little complicated for me to explain why I would give $100 million to a Toronto-based REIT so that they can renovate their building. I I accept that that's a bit of a complicated um, uh, argument to be made. And all the minister said is, show me the business case for that. Because when we took a look at it, that's what we determined is that that's where the money would be going. And there's a couple of of, uh, companies that have managed to do a major renovation of their building without having government money. I look at the Ampersand and the Edison as two prime examples. Those are are pretty fun and funky spaces. And so if other companies are able to do that, why can't all of them? So I'm just going to put that out there. The the thing that we have heard from uh, Mayor Gondek is, which I think is a really good idea, is seeing if there is an appetite to have downtown campuses, whether it would be Mount Royal, um, or U of C who wants to do it. Maybe it's one of the career colleges that wants to expand. Maybe it is uh, one of the community colleges in one of the uh, further outlying areas, or, or maybe it's McGill and Queens who want to who want to set up. But I, I think if we uh, indicate a willingness to, to look at those kind of proposals, those proposals will come in. But we haven't seen any proposals, as I understand it, from our advanced education minister, Dimitri Nikolaitis. But that's a little bit more in sync, I think. It's a little bit more in our lane. On the kind of things that I think Albertans would be in favor of. I think Albertans would be in favor of us doing whatever we can to attract more university campuses and uh, be able to support our post secondaries that way, as well as being able to support our downtown. If there's other creative ideas, absolutely, I'm open to it. But I think the very best thing that helps Calgary and Edmonton is having a low corporate income tax rate. And if you think that uh, Rachel Notley increasing the corporate t- income tax rate is now all, all of a sudden going to cause head offices to flock into Calgary, Edmonton, you're fooling yourself. And so we commit that we're going to keep a very low competitive rate of, uh, of corporate income tax, which we have already seen is uh, is benefiting our province. We have record levels of, of influx of technology and innovation. Uh, venture capital money two hundred or seven hundred and twenty nine million last year twenty two billion more is my understanding invested in the energy companies and I keep hearing about uh, new new uh, opportunities every day for businesses to be expanding out and adding to their rosters so keeping a very low rate of of tax is going to be benefiting to any to any of our our centers in the in the province and I think that's the most important thing we can do Don do you have a follow up
9: yes um once again, if the mayor comes up with something that council agrees on that is a good proposal for the downtown, even if it does involve some help in, uh, in uh, saving some of these buildings that could still be habitable, which is some of them are at the end of their lifespan, uh, you are willing to go along with something reasonable from the mayor um, because I take it that this, the roadblock here was, was you not having had anything specific from the mayor.
1: Look, right. I've mentioned before that I had heard in Edmonton in particular that there were business deals that had fallen apart because of the public safety issues on the streets. And Calgary's not quite as bad, but that's why public safety has been our number one priority. Because you want to make sure that people who, if they are going to relocate their headquarters, that they feel comfortable with their women employees walking out on the street at six o'clock at night and taking transit to work and being able to, to hang out after work and go to, to restaurants and enjoy the activities. And if we don't not have safe streets, we you know, all the money in the world is not going to be able to attract more people to come into our cores. So we believe our job is to put first things first, and our principal responsibility is around healthcare, mental health, addiction, and public safety, and we're hoping that by creating that environment, that the private sector will see, ah, oh, this is a great place for us to invest. We're already seeing that. If there's more that we can do incrementally, absolutely, but I don't want to, uh, to, to think that we, we can stall on any of the foundational things that we're doing. Those are absolutely the most important, and that's what Calgarians have told us they want to focus on.
6: All right, operator, next caller, please.
8: Janet French, CBC. Hi there. For the Premier, um, you just said
6: you couldn't see much value in giving money to Toronto REITs to renovate Towers in downtown Calgary. So why would it then be appropriate to give hundreds of millions of dollars of royalties to oil companies to take care of their inactive wells that they're already responsible for mitigating?
1: Well, I, I know that there's been a, again a lot of misinformation that is out there. Just because I, I, can, I uh, put forward an idea a few a couple of years ago on a proposal doesn't mean it's the proposal that is being um, uh, that is being considered now by by Pete Guthrie. I can I can tell you that. Um, any proposal that we look at for providing any kind of royalty break is very consistent with the past that we have taken. I mean, in the past, we have offered all kinds of royalty breaks. We offer a 1% Uh, royalty on oil sands production until they have payout of their capital. We offer a 5% royalty on uh, called a C-Star credit on junior oil and gas companies until they've paid off their capital. That was brought in by the NDP. We've had flow-through shares in the past. The federal government came through with a billion dollars to do site reclamation. And so if we need to have some targeted approaches to deal with the absolute worst wells in Alberta, and there are a lot of them, there's 20,000 wells, that um, have been inactive for over 20 years and were drilled prior to 1980. And the companies just keep on pushing them forward and pushing them forward to some future date, and nobody's cleaning them up. So this is a problem I identified all the way back in 1997. So I've been very concerned about this issue for a very long time, and I don't know why a regulator has has allowed for these wells to transfer, but it ends. We can't continue doing this. We have to find a way to do significant cleanup of this liability. So the approach our government has taken, which I'm supportive of, is that Every company is going to be required to do 3% of their liability cleanup each year. That's going to be $740 million of their own money each and every year, increasing every year until this liability is gone. But what I also observed is that with the billion dollars the federal government gave us, no one was dealing with the worst wells. No one was dealing with the flare pits and the sump pumps and the surface reconstruction and the site reclamation. And those can be extraordinarily expensive cleanups. So if we need to have a targeted program to deal with the absolute worst wells so that landowners are not left holding the bag on those, then I think that that's important for us to have a look at. But that program is is still under active consultation. We have First Nations consultation we have to do. The minister has said he needs another couple of months to finish the consultation, and we would be rolling out the details of it. In in the fall, if it does go ahead, um, it is. And, but keep in mind, when we're talking about this narrow category that has a particularly problematic wells, it's it, they're talking about a potential of a hundred million dollars in royalty credits. I think that's the size that 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 uh, Pete Guthrie is is um, that he's uh, consulting on. And remember how a royalty credit works. Where a royalty credit works is you have to spend the money first to do a cleanup, and then. You will only get the credit when you have new drilling. And so we will be generating new revenues, and they will be able to extend the period that they have a lower rate. That's how he's he's done the design. Plus, we'll also put some measures in place. That you won't be able to uh, to to get the credit if you are if you haven't paid 100% of your municipal property taxes owing, you won't be able to get the credit if you haven't paid 100% of the landowner leases that you own. So it also is a way for us to have a carrot and a stick, a little bit of a tool, so that we can focus on the worst wells that have gone unclean for some time in some cases 60 years, but at the same time also this offer the stick that we want to make sure that municipal property taxes get paid and that landowner leases get paid too. Do you have a follow-up, Janet?
6: I do. Um, obviously, though, that a decision on this is going to be deferred, pushed down the line until after the election, if you're saying fall. So what clarity will you be offering Albertans before the election on how much money a re-elected Daniel Smith government would give to energy companies to clean up these liabilities?
1: I just answered that question. I said that the the, narrow, the narrowing of what he is talking about has him looking at a $100 million credit over a three-year period. And the only way an energy company will be able to get that credit is if they do new drilling so that we're generating royalties and they're also gen- getting paid back on their credit. There's no, there's no dollars that will be allocated towards this. It's a, 100% based on a credit, and it's very narrow. It's $100 million. All right, operator, next caller, please.
3: Rick Bell, Calgary Sun. Uh, Good
5: afternoon. Uh, Question for the Premier. Um, I'm a bit confused because sometimes you sound like the Daniel Smith of old and sometimes you sound like another kind of Daniel Smith or Premier Smith. Um, Getting back to this uh, downtown and also the last question about uh, oil wells, In the days of old, I think you would have said that you were opposed to corporate welfare in any form, whether it was for oil companies, whether it was for Toronto developers who made certain investment decisions. Is it difficult for you or not difficult to come out and say that this government does not, will not support corporate welfare, define what that means, and tell Albertans that this government is not in the business of business, to quote former Premier Ralph Klein. And that um, that will be your position, as opposed to the position of governments that have called themselves conservative but have engaged in all kinds of corporate welfare in the many, many billions over the years um, against their stated
1: political philosophy. So, so let me do a definition then, um, because uh, I, I, uh, allowing a company to keep more of what it earns, to me, is, is not the same as extracting taxpayer dollars and then choosing a particular company that's going to receive hundreds of millions or billions of dollars. I look at those as being two different things. And so when you see what our approach has been, like the Alberta film tax credit, that's available to anybody who comes here and decides that they want to invest. Um, If you look at the approach that we take on the Alberta petrochemical incentive program, that's available to anyone who wants to come here and invest. We, we can define the conditions under which that credit becomes available, but we're not picking winners and losers. We're creating an environment for people to choose here and then keep more of what they earn so that they can invest that in, uh, in developing out their projects. I, I have always been in favor of that type of approach, and, uh, and so I don't see anything inconsistent with that.
5: Pull up, Rick. And a uh, supplementary question. Uh, there's a lot of spending in this budget, and not all of it could be accounted for by mental health and addictions and affordability. It's much higher than the budget plans of even late last year. It's much higher than was envisioned a few years ago under the former premier. It's even more, some would say, than the NDP. You have always been a, uh, portrayed yourself as a stalwart conservative, as a small government person. As a person who admires other political figures who are of like mind, um, even though much of the spending could be very legitimate and very, uh, you know, deserved, how do you explain to people that you are spending so much money and that the spending is coming because of the oil and gas, ro- the oil roller coaster? which we are supposed to be at some point in the near future getting off of.
1: we And we will be getting off that, that resource roller coaster with the decisions that we made here. So consistently, what I have said, and you can go back to some of my budget submissions, Rick, in previous years and previous hats that I've worn. Number one is keep your spend, operational spending below the rate of increase in inflation plus population growth. We um, had a 6.2% increase in inflation plus population growth year over year, and we're spending 4.1% in operational spending increases. So that's consistent. The other thing is that we needed a long-term plan to pay off debt. 50% of all surpluses are going to go to pay down debt, and um, it could be even more than that, depending on the priorities that that we decide on uh, at at the time at the end once the surpluses are realized. uh, Prudent uh, projections on what the figures will be uh, for how we base our budget for oil and natural gas—we're five dollars below what private sector forecasters have said, um, and so that's going to be really important to make sure that we have a prudent uh, projection, so that it will—if we—if we happen to be wrong and it's a little bit higher, there'll be more surplus, and if there's more surplus, we've got rules around how it can be spent, 50% on debt reduction and then the rest can be either debt reduction uh, added to savings or for or for one-time payments that uh, do not increase operational spending. We're also maintaining the dollars in the Heritage Savings Trust Fund so that they continue to grow and compound over time. If we'd done that uh, from its inception, we'd have $300 billion in that fund generating $20 billion per year per year. And the reason I say this is because that's what's going to ultimately create uh, the room so that we are off this royalty roller coaster. One is paying down debt so that it frees up $3 billion that are currently uh, being used for operation or for finance charges. And then as we grow out our investment savings, once we get to a certain amount, that becomes a, a long-term source of revenue that will allow us to re- replace our reliance on, on uh, resource royalties. I, I wrote about that in 2001 as an objective. At the time, I'd, I think I'd said we should target $150 billion um, if we get to $300 billion, that would um, completely displace any of our reliance on resource revenue. So we've created the framework to get into that pathway. You can't get there all at once, but uh, you can get back to me in 10 years and we'll see how it turns out. All right, operator, can we go to our last caller, please? Lisa Johnson, Edmonton
8: Journal. Hi, thanks so much for taking my question. This is for the Premier as well. I just wanted
6: to follow up on some of the stuff that Alana was asking about. Uh, Premier, you said that there was some
1: misinformation. Um, that had been released regarding the Coral Oil Sands Project leak. Can you specify what misinformation you're referring to? Yeah, the implication that drinking water was ever at risk, that's misinformation. None of the spill got into our tributaries, which means it did not get into the river, which means it did not get into anyone's drinking water.
6: Follow up, Lisa? Okay, yeah, and in terms of
1: um, Alberta's, the government's responsibility, for notifying the Northwest Territories, it seems, it, it, it,
6: based on the um, 2015 agreement it has with the territory to inform it when such a leak occurs, it seems like you're saying it was Imperial Oil's responsibility to notify the
1: Northwest Territories. Is that what you're saying? I mean, what, what is the government's responsibility here and why didn't it notify the Northwest Territories? Well, it goes back to the first question. If, the, if there had been a leak into the tributaries that got into the river that would have made its way to Northwest Territories, that, that would have triggered uh, a whole series of additional steps that would have needed to be taken, I think, by both the Alberta Energy Regulator, the Energy Department, and Imperial Oil, That and that did not occur. But because of the misreporting that gave the impression that water got into the tributaries and into the river and on its way to new, Northwest terries, Territories and was impacting drinking water, I think that's why they had the reaction they did. I would have liked to have seen the company be proactive so that they could have um, made sure that it, that everybody stayed calm and understood the nature of the spill. It didn't occur, and so hopefully we'll do better. They'll do better next time. Um, but I I believe that there is a, a joint responsibility on the part of the Alberta Energy Regulatory is the enforcement authority but principally on the company it actually is in law yeah, the, the, the it's the company's job to communicate with stakeholders and we will be holding them to that to that standard.
7: okay, thanks everybody have a good day.
6: Thanks everyone.